Well, good morning, everybody. And let me say uh, to you guys also, because I know it's already been said, but I haven't gotten to, happy Mother's Day. And today truly is a great day, not just because we get to worship the Lord together, but because we get to celebrate and honor mothers and motherhood and all the ladies in the room. So thank you for being here. And let me just tell you that there's two ways that we've tried to kind of tangibly celebrate and honor mothers. One is we set up a picture station because we know for some reason moms love pictures. Uh, and so we have a picture station set up back there. A lot of people have already taken advantage of that. Um, so go back there. We have actually people that will take pictures. If you're here with your family, that's awesome. If you're here by yourself or you're maybe, you're maybe you're here, some people check us out for the first time on Mother's Day. Maybe you're here by yourself, just check us out because you haven't been to ch- uh, our church before. Um, grab somebody else from Northridge. I know that seems weird, but seriously, we are family here. If we are not a family as a church, then we are not much worth as a church. And so grab somebody, say, hey, would you be willing to take a picture? And I'm sure all of our Northridge family, yes, would be willing to just say, yeah, let's take a picture. What's your name again, right? And so let's do this, have that. The other thing that we have for you is on your way out, we have a little plant for you. Apparently they're called succulents. That's just weird to me, but whatever. Um, we have succulents for you on your way out, little plants. A lot, of, a lot of ladies grab those on the way out, and so we'll have those on your way out on the, in the hallway when you leave. Uh, but we just want to celebrate mothers today. And uh, honestly, let me just pause for a moment and say this. Uh, Mother's Day can be difficult for some of us because maybe we've just lost our mother. Uh, some of us, maybe we want to be a mother and you can't for whatever reason. And so this day can be great, and it can also be hard. And so we recognize that here today. We want to acknowledge all of that. And so what better way, what better thing can we do? Even the picture thing, the succulents, that's all great. But I think the greatest thing that we can do is I want to pause for just a moment and we're going to pray for all mothers and all of us in the room. All right, would you join me as we do that? God, I pray that for every person that came here today, but especially for all the moms in the room, all the ladies in the room, If they walked in thinking, man, this is a great day and feeling their worth, would you just honor them and celebrate that today, God? I pray with your presence and your blessing. But God, also, if there's anybody here that they just, maybe they came in feeling worthless, just totally worthless for whatever reason, I pray that you would remind them that they are a child of God that they are created special and amazing and unique, and they simply need to believe that and realize that and lean into that on this Mother's Day. And so today, may we celebrate mothers and motherhood. May we celebrate all the ladies in our life, but may we also remember to celebrate where all this love comes from in the first place, which is from you. And so as we talk about your word and your topics and your kingdom today, may you Rule and reign in this place and give us the guidance and direction that we need to have. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, thank you for being here. Happy Mother's Day. So we are in a series, kind of right in the middle of this series, called Modnik. And the reason we call it Modnik is because it's the word kingdom spelled backwards. In this series, we're talking about the fact that God's kingdom 
is different. It's upside down. It's backwards from any other kingdom that any other human being wants to or tries to establish. It is completely different than any other kingdom. So we don't call it kingdom. We call it modnik. And we're working our way backwards through the word modnik. And so the first thing that we started with was the letter K. And we talked about Jesus is our king on a cross. And then after that, we talked about the fact that in God's kingdom, everybody is invited to be a part of his kingdom. That's the whole point of Jesus on the cross and resurrecting from the grave. It was his invitation to every human being to be a part of his kingdom. That's what makes his kingdom different. And then the next week, we learned about the fact that in God's kingdom, it's not about you. Yay! Isn't that exciting? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. In God's kingdom, it's all about God, and that's not because he's egotistical. It's because it has to be about God, because you know what God does because he loves you? God loves you, and so he makes it about you. He does, but if you try to start with it being about you, you don't get there. You can't start and get to the right place in the path if you start on the wrong path, and so it can't start by being about us. It has to be about God, who loves us, and then he makes it about us. And then last week we talked about one of the most important aspects of God's kingdom, and it's how it makes his kingdom different than any other kingdom. And that is that he wants us to flow with our generosity every day, that our generosity has to be extravagant, has to be amazing, has to be huge, because God's generosity to you and to me, to all of us, is huge, and he wants us to do the same. And so we learned about generosity last week. Now, of course, today we're on the letter D, but I'm not going to reveal that just yet. We'll get there eventually. Isn't this series just a tease all the time? I'm sorry, right? But what I want to do is I want to start by sharing a story. So when I was a teenager, my family went with another family. We decided to take a canoe trip for just, just for the day. It wasn't like a camp out or anything like that. It was just for one day long. And so we got up early in the morning, went up to this river in northern Wisconsin, and we went on this canoe trip with this other family. Now, the reason we chose that is because my family was really good friends with this family. They had two boys and two girls in the family. And uh, they had a son that was the same age as me. His name was Abel. And they they had a younger son named Sam who was good friends with my younger brother who was four years younger than me, Bryce. And so we loved hanging out with this family because, you know, I had a good friend in the family and, and my brother had a good friend and we got to hang out and the parents got to hang out. They got to talk. And so we went on this canoe trip and so we put the two youngest dudes, right, our younger brothers, in one canoe. Abel and I went in another canoe and then the other three canoes were taken up by the two sets of parents and then their daughters. And so, of course, as you would imagine, we get into the river, and the, the youngest ones, our little brothers, they just start taking off. They paddle for all it's worth. They wanted to get as far away from the family as possible. And so they're racing down the river. Abel and I, we're in high school at this point. The, our, our younger brothers are probably in middle school-ish, something like that. And so they wanted to get as far away from us as possible, but we didn't really want to be with the family right then either. And so we start paddling, so we paddle away. And before you know it, Sam and Bryce, our little brothers, they could not be seen. They were around like two bins. They're gone. And Abel and I are by ourselves. We're chasing turtles and we're looking at the deer and all kinds of like there's all kinds of wildlife. And we're just having a good time hanging out by ourselves, two, two friends. And then the rest of the family, who knows where they were? They were back there somewhere else, right? Upriver. Well, everything was going really, really good until Abel and I came around one of the river bends and we see Sam, his little brother, and my little brother Bryce standing in the middle of the river. It was a faster river section, so it was a little shallower, but there was a lot of rocks. And they had somehow managed 
little brothers. Let me tell you this. Wow. Sometimes that's all I, I can say. Wow. They had somehow managed to turn the canoe sideways, perpendicular to the river. The open end of the canoe, the upper part of the canoe, was turned, flipped sideways, and the open part of the canoe was facing upriver. So the water was flowing at the canoe, and you guys know what's going on, right? The water's going into the canoe. Bryce and Sam, they're only in middle school, right? And so they haven't quite got their fully developed muscles yet. And so they're in there. They're literally like chest-deep water, trying to pull this thing out of there, but it's full of water. They're, not, they're literally not moving the canoe at all. They, they, they're looking tough, but they're not, nothing's happening, right? And Abel and I come around the corner, and we're like, we look at each other, and we're like, oh, little brothers. We're commiserating together in our canoe, and we realize that if we don't get there pretty quick, that canoe, I kid you not, was probably at least half full of water at this point. The river's flowing into it. It's going deeper, which means the water's going in faster. If we don't get there pretty soon, the thing's going to be completely full and at the bottom of the river, right? Thankfully, it's not deep at this point. It's just a couple of feet, but still, to get it out of there, it's going to be tough, right? The current is pretty strong. And so Abel and I, we paddle as fast as we can over to these guys to save our little brothers. Not the only time it happened, let me tell you. And we say, hold our canoe, and no, don't take it. We were very clear on that point, little brothers. And so we grab the canoe, and Abel and I, bar- and I mean barely, this was, it took everything we could. I remember trying to lift and my, my legs and everything. We finally got that canoe out of the water, tipped it over, dumped all the water out, set it back down so it was floating like it was supposed to. And then the little brothers climbed back into the canoe, and I don't think they said thank you, and they took off again. Of course. The reason I tell that story is because when you are against the current... You're going to run into people, you're going to run into obstacles that think you're crazy. They're going to think you're going the wrong direction, you're going a different direction than everybody else. Why are you doing that? What are you doing? Kind of like we were thinking about our little brothers in that moment. What are you doing? Why are you going against the current? Just go along with the flow like everybody else. So the reason I say that is today's topic, what God wants for you and for me in his kingdom, is something that causes us to go against the current, completely against our culture, against the flow where everybody else is headed. And I'll kind of get into this, but what I want to do is I actually want to illustrate this by spending a few minutes sharing a little bit about history today. Oh, aren't you glad? A happy Mother's Day, by the way. You get to get a history lesson this morning. Isn't that fantastic? Well, sorry, it's rough that I share history on Mother's Day, but I want to do that. So uh, you guys already know this, but during the life of Jesus and when the New Testament was written, it was written and the life of Jesus happened at the height of the Roman Empire. Okay, so this is the height of the Roman Empire in that part of the world. That's where Jesus and the disciples and all that, that's where all of this happened in the height of the Roman Empire. And so what I want to do today is I want to share with you what the Roman Empire system, like their hierarchy, their, um, their society, what it looked like. And so I'm going to move this ladder over here. I think we're all good there. And I want to show you kind of what their hierarchy system looked like uh, in the Roman Empire. Okay? So we're going to kind of go through this. I'm going to lay this right there. Yeah, it looks a little messy, but it's okay. All right. So in the Roman Empire, 
you had basically six groups of people. Were there more groups of uh, people than this? Definitely, a lot more groups. But there were six main groups, and almost all the groups of people fit into these six categories. And they had very, very specific categories in the Roman Empire. Okay? At the top, you had the top three groups, which are called the patricians, and the bottom three groups of people were called the plebeians. Patricians, plebeians. Okay? The patricians obviously were kind of your upper class. So let's start and talk about these. At the top of the social class ladder, you had royals. They had both power, status, wealth, tons and tons of money and possessions, and all the power and the influence to go with it. Royals, it didn't get better in Roman society if you were a royal. This was it. They were powerful, wealthy, amazing status. Next group underneath them were the Senate or the senators. These guys usually were also, also very wealthy, very, very wealthy with money, possessions, all that stuff, but they also had a ton of power because they were senators. They were viewed as having great status. Now, when, when we talk about these, and actually let me get to the third one and I'll share that, the next group is the equestrians. Now, if you know your vocabulary, your terminology, you probably already know why this group is called the equestrians. These are people who had this social status mainly because they owned a lot of a certain mode of transportation. What is that mode of transportation? Horses. Equestrian means horses. And so this group of people, they were in this social status because they owned horses. Now, let me, let me just say this. Just let me pause. I don't know about you, but I cannot imagine a culture where people in the ruling class use their position to manipulate and gain more wealth and more power. Can you? Hmm... I cannot imagine a culture where your mode of transportation is a status symbol in your society. Hmm. Can't imagine that. You see where we're going, don't you? So this is the top three groups, but then there's another three groups, the plebeians, that were underneath these guys. Now, the next group is the citizens. The citizens, they were truly citizens of the Roman Empire. A lot of people were not citizens of the Roman Empire. These all were. These guys were. And by the way, when you think of Rome, like we think of the Roman Empire, we think togas. When we think of togas, we're talking about these people, these people, and every now and then, usually these people didn't even get that. They didn't get togas. Togas was, um, they, it was a status symbol. Again, I can't imagine a culture where your label on your clothes is a status symbol. Hmm. Togas were only... When you think of togas in the Roman Empire, you're not thinking about these people at all. You're thinking about the top two, sometimes the top three. This was a status symbol. By the way, in the Roman Empire, you know how much people this made up? 2% of the, of the Roman population. 2% was this, this group of three people, these three groups. So these now, the citizens, they had the same rights as these three people. Laws covered these people. They could vote. They had a lot of freedom. But what they didn't have is they didn't have the power. They didn't have the status. They didn't have togas. And they didn't have a lot of wealth. These people were generally either middle class, but usually not even that. They were usually middle to lower class. They were scraping by, just making a living. 
okay? But they at least had legal rights like these other three groups. They were protected by the laws and they could vote. Much better than these last two groups of people, the freedmen. The freedmen was the next group. This group of people, these were people that used to be, a lot of them used to be slaves. Uh, the freedmen also were people that were like foreigners. They were not naturally born into the Roman uh, Empire. Uh, these were people that were conquered by the Romans. Uh, these are people that just found themselves trapped in the Roman Empire somehow. And so they were not citizens. They certainly weren't this level, but they were free. They, they had some autonomy. They could make choices for themselves, but they couldn't vote. They were not protected by the laws. People could pretty much do whatever they wanted to these people, and they were not protected. And so their life was just kind of scraping by. And then, of course, they had it really good compared to the last group. We don't like to talk about this group in the Roman Empire, but the Roman Empire really did fully run on the backs of slaves. And this group of people were not considered people to the Roman Empire. They, they weren't. They were not called people. They were called property. They were bought and sold as property. They could be given away as a gift, as property. They were not considered people. They were slaves. And it had nothing to do with race in this case. It had everything to do with whether or not you were captured in war. And so the Roman Empire ran on the backs of slaves and freedmen. Now, you might be saying, wow, this is a really feel-good message for Mother's Day. Thank you, Brad. This is wonderful. It really touches the heartstrings. So why in the world would I bring this up? Well, I've talked about this before, this actually at Northridge years ago. So why do I bring it up now? The reason I bring it up now is because the Romans had this Latin phrase. And this Latin phrase described what everybody in the Roman Empire was trying to do in the Roman Empire. They were seeking to ascend in greatness. They called it cursus honorum, Latin. Isn't this awesome? You get history, you get Latin today. I mean, how could it not be any better, right? Cursus honorum. And you know what it means? It literally translates to mean rising or ascending in importance. That's, that's what everybody in the Roman Empire was chasing, cursus honorum. They had a phrase for it. What we would say in modern day times, you know what we'd call this? Climbing the ladder. That's what we call it. We call it climbing the ladder. We are ascending to greatness. We are increasing our wealth. We are increasing our power. We're increasing our status. We are increasing in importance. And our noses are going higher as we do it. And the Romans, that's what they were seeking. Everybody was focused on that, trying to ascend to greatness. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, here's why I bring that up. What if I were to tell you that God, that Jesus, suggests the opposite direction? What if I were to tell you that God suggests that the only way to achieve greatness is not to ascend to greatness, but to descend to greatness? This brings us to the D in Modnik. You know what it stands for? In God's kingdom, it's totally different. I, told, I keep telling you, it's totally different than everything else that's around you. In God's kingdom, you don't ascend to greatness, you descend into greatness. It's completely against the current. It's completely against the flow of everything else and where everybody else is going. 
So the Romans had this word, cursus honorum, to rise the ladder. But did you know they also had a term that described when a person committed a crime or if a person fell down the ladder? You understand that it took really hard work to climb the ladder. Most people never got out of their social status that they were in. Slaves stayed slaves. Freedmen stayed freedmen. Citizens stayed citizens. Very, very rarely could you move up the ladder, but everybody tried. Everybody tried. Everybody tried to ascend to greatness. Cursus honorum. But the Romans, as you would imagine, it was very quick. You could easily, quickly fall down the entire ladder if you committed a crime or there was a scandal or something like that. And so you know what the Romans called? They had a Latin word for when you fell down the ladder. You know what it was called? It's a Latin word. See? More Latin. You're welcome. Humilitas. You know what word that sounds like? Humility. The Romans hated humility. They did. They hated it. They wanted nothing to do with it. Humility was not a virtue in the Roman Empire. They wanted nothing to do with humility because it meant you were going the wrong direction in their society. Nobody wanted humility. Nobody wanted humilitas because it meant you were going the wrong direction. But let me just say this for case in point. Humility is kind of a a bad word in our society too. I think that in our society, maybe not in the Roman society, but in our society we recognize at least enough that, that humility is probably a good thing right? We recognize that it's, ah, it's probably a good thing, but we, but most of us don't believe in it because we know that humility takes us in this direction and we don't want to go in that direction. We want to go the direction everybody else is going. We want to go up. We want to ascend to greatness. But Jesus says, no, 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 that's, that's not how it's going to work. We need to descend into greatness. Humility is the way that we do that. But we think of humility as being weak, as being doormats, don't we? It goes against American culture. It goes against the American dream. How do you have, how can you achieve and survive? How do you get a paycheck? Some of you are wondering that, right? How do I descend to get a paycheck? It's a great question. How do I go the wrong direction and and get paid? How do I go the wrong direction and still be able to survive? Well, Jesus explains that humility is the way. In other words, you can ascend, but you just don't seek to ascend you descend, and then God will raise you. Now, some of you are like, uh, that doesn't seem right. Kind of like that Geico commercial. She says, well, I'm an introvert, and it's really rare. And he says, I don't think that's right. You're right. We don't think that humility is right. It doesn't jive with greatness. Let me just say this. A lot of people think somebody who is humble is weak, and I'm here to tell you that somebody who is ascending to greatness is the weak one. Why do I say that? Because it's easy, guys, easy to do what everybody else is doing. It is. It's so easy. Good for you doing what everybody else is doing. You know why bullying still exists in our culture and in our schools, it's because everybody does what everybody else is doing. When the bully does something, everybody goes with that person. If somebody would go against the current, you know what would happen to all the bullies of the world? They'd be all by themselves. And they'd no longer be able to bully anybody because they'd be on their own. 
poor bullies. It's not strong to bully. We all know that. It's not strong to ascend. That's weakness. We all know it. Humility is strength. It's when you're going to go the different direction that everybody else is going, and they're going to call you out, they're going to call you weak, and you're still going to go that direction. You know how much strength it takes to do that? It's a lot. I've shared this quote a lot from C.S. Lewis. He describes that humility is not weakness. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not a doormat. It's not weakness. It is thinking about yourself less. Think about that. I love how C.S. Lewis turns a phrase, by the way. It's amazing. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. It's stopping to, to realize everything doesn't revolve around you. Everything shouldn't revolve around you. Descend into greatness. Now, you might be wondering, are we actually going to get to Scripture at some point today? All right, some of you are wondering that. You're like, okay, this is all well and good, but we've been talking about history and we haven't even gotten to the Bible yet. You're right, we'll get there. The question I have for you in order to get us to that is this. Do you think the Romans were the only ones who struggled with the cursus honorum? Do you think that the Romans were the only ones who struggled with ascending to greatness? Oh man, not by a long shot. I think I called that out when I asked the questions about the culture that I can't imagine. There's a few parallels with our culture in the Romans. Quite a few. No, the Romans aren't the only ones that have problems with this. Did you know that the disciples of Jesus, the 12 guys that Jesus chose, hand-picked, had a problem with this ascension to greatness problem? They had a problem with it. They struggled with this. Let me prove it to you. So I want to go to Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to be. If you like to follow along, we're going to be there. Mark chapter 10. And in this context, Jesus is walking along the road with his 12 disciples. It sounds like there may have been a few other people there with them. We don't know that for sure. But we at least know that Jesus and the 12 disciples are walking on their way to the city of Jerusalem. Now, this is the beginning of Holy Week. In other words, why this is important is Jesus in a few days is going to be crucified on a cross, buried, and resurrect from the grave. That's like just a few days from this moment, okay? And so Jesus is walking with his disciples, and what do you guys do when you take a walk with a good friend? You talk about everything that you've been holding and pent up, and you've been ready to tell somebody about, right? You're you're telling them all the important stuff that has happened in your life, or that's going to happen in your life, right? That's what a walk is for. Jesus and the disciples, imagine they're on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus knows he's going to be crucified in just a few days, and so he's sharing a whole bunch of important stuff with the disciples in this moment. But then something is going to happen in the conversation, all right? Let's go there and see what they're talking about. Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 33. So they're walking along this road on their way to Jerusalem. Listen, Jesus said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will kill him or they will mock him. They will spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Now, let me just pause for a moment. Understand that Jesus just said one of the most intense, one of the most crazy, one of the most amazing things in all of history. He just said, in just a few days, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be crucified, the Romans are going to kill me, I'm going to be buried, and then three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. That's kind of a big deal. 
That's kind of big news. It's like it's never happened before. He just finished saying that, and then I kid you not, in the next moment, we're talking a second or a few seconds later, it's the next verse, the very next verse. Do you know what James and John, two of the 12 disciples, say to Jesus? You want to read it? Listen, listen to what they do. This is crazy. This is the very next moment. Then James and John, two of the disciples, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Really? Now? Right now? You ask this question right now? I mean, do we, can we, can just pause for a moment, okay? Jesus has just explained to them, I am going to die on a cross for the sins of the entire world. I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be buried, the Romans are going to kill me, and then I'm going to rise from the grave three days later. And then in the next moment, James and John, two of the closest disciples to Jesus, they decide to take this moment to ask for a favor. How unbelievably insensitive and out of touch and completely missed the bullseye, the mark, altogether can you be? What's interesting is, it's an interesting parallel. I've never thought about this in this story before. But when you seek to ascend to greatness, you know what your benefit will be, your experience will be? You're going to be lost, you're going to be out of touch, you're going to be insensitive, because everything is about you. James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, missed it. Not only did they miss the mark, they missed the target. They were shooting a different direction. They took this moment to ask Jesus, hey, we would love to be a royal with you. Why? Because they were seeking ascension to greatness just like everybody else around them. Now, let me ask you this. How do you think the disciples, the other 10, remember there's 10 other disciples there, they heard this. James and John didn't whisper this into his ear. They said this out loud, which, by the way, tells you of their awareness problem. They said this out loud. How do you think the other 10 disciples responded to this? <laughs> Not well. Let me read for you what it says. A couple verses down. This is how they responded. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. How many of you have used the word indignant lately? Probably none of us, right? We don't use that word. You know why we don't use the word? Because we don't know what that word means. <laughs> oh, wow, he is really indignant. What does that mean? I don't know. Just sounds bad, right? Well, the, the truth is that the word indignant is actually a very fancy, very specific word for anger. That's what indignant means. Indignant means angry, mad. 
But it doesn't just mean angry in general. It means that you're angry for a very specific reason. It means you're angry because there are people who are stepping over you and stepping on you to gain position over you unfairly. That's specifically what indignant means. It means you're angry, not just because you're angry, because you hit your thumb with a hammer angry. No, it means you're angry because people are stepping on you or stepping over you in order to have a position and wealth and status above you. They are ascending to greatness on your expense. Yeah, they were mad. But they weren't just mad. They were mad because James and John were wrong really wrong because they were seeking to ascend to greatness and Jesus knows oh man this is bad they don't realize we need to descend into greatness now let me ask you this how do you think Jesus responded to this oh oh, oh, yeah Jesus is like their teacher their coach I I, so I, I used to coach high school boys soccer Okay, at the high school here in Wanakee. And there would be times when the boys would be scattered all over the field doing a drill or a scrimmage or, or, or something like that. And, uh, and then I would, every now and then, I would say, bring it in, bring it in, guys, bring it in. You know, I'd do this with my hands. That's, I literally, this, they, they'd know. They'd probably look at me and roll their eyes right now if, if I had some of my teammates here. I would say, bring it in, guys, bring it in. And they knew when I said bring it in, they cannot walk. You run in. Because I need to share something with you as your coach. And so they would run in. And so I would bring them in. Now, let me ask you this. Why would I say bring it in? The reason I would do that is for two reasons. One, I have something that's important to say that I need the entire team to hear. So what I'm going to say is important and everybody needs to hear it. The second reason I would bring them in is because I may be seeing a lot of people making a mistake in the drill or, or for our strategy for you know, the game coming up or whatever that I need to correct, I need to change course for what a lot of them are doing or maybe most of them are doing. So it's important and I need to change something. They're thinking about something. Bring it in. You know what Jesus did in that moment? Remember, they're walking along the road. You know what Jesus does? He says, bring it in. I am about to share something with you that is really important, and it will change the direction that you're going right now. Listen to what he says. Verse 42. So Jesus called them together, bring it in, <laughs> and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over their son to them. Cursus or norum. Everybody's ascending to greatness, guys. He's talking to disciples. Everybody's ascending to greatness. But among you, catch what Jesus says here. What does he say? But among you it will be what? Among you it will be different. In the NIV version, a different translation of this same verse, it says, Jesus says, not so with you. He says, you know how they do all that stuff? They're ascending to greatness. You know how everybody's chasing wealth, chasing power, chasing position. You know how everybody's doing it? Jesus says, not so with you. No, not so with you. With you, it's going to be different. We're going a different direction. Our current goes a different way than everybody else. In other words, Jesus is saying, we're going to descend into greatness, not ascend. We're going to descend. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? 
If you look at just about any study, if you look at universities that have done studies on happiness and fulfillment and joy, if you look at professors who have done studies, uh, scientists have done studies, people have done social experiments, there are hundreds of studies out there, and you know what every one of those studies will show you? It's interesting when science and professors and universities, they teach this and then they do the study and they find out that what God says is actually true. Study after study after study after study. You should Google this later on today. Seriously, try it. Google the studies that look for the people who are fulfilled and why they're fulfilled. Look for it. You can find some interesting stuff. You'll find some really interesting stuff, actually. But there's some really interesting good stuff, too. But you know what they find? They find that the people who had jobs, who have jobs where they seek to serve people and the employees around them, and the bosses, the CEOs, they seek to serve the people around them, they descend into greatness. You know what they find? Those people are incredibly fulfilled, regardless of their income. From the lowest employee to the highest employee, the one that makes this much to the one that makes this much, and the one who didn't get their bonus, the one that did get their bonus, it didn't, it literally, they, they've done this study again and again and again, and every single time they find that the most fulfilled people are the ones that are putting others first. They're not ascending to greatness, they're descending. You know what else they found in those studies? They find that people that give themselves away, that empty themselves for other people, the people that spend their time volunteering. Uh, by the way, volunteering at church is a great thing. <laughs> See what I did there? Just a, just a little plug. Really soft and, you know, not forthright. People who serve, people who sacrifice their time and their energy to help other people. You know what they find about them by and large? They're healthier physically. They're healthier emotionally. They're healthier mentally. They're healthier socially. And they're healthier spiritually. L look it up. You, you don't have to take my word for it. There's hundreds of studies that show this. In other words, science confirms the reality that even though our society and our culture says you have to ascend to status, you have to work your way up the ladder, get there, achieve, step on people, step over people, it doesn't matter, arise to the top. When we try to do that, God says you will get there and you will be all alone and you will be empty. You'll think you're achieving greatness and you're actually achieving something opposite of that. You're achieving emptiness. And God says, in order to achieve greatness, you descend, and you'll receive fulfillment. By the way, it's no accident that this ended up on Mother's Day. No, our staff did not plan this. It just worked out this way. Isn't that crazy? But I don't know about you, but there's no greater topic to have on Mother's Day to celebrate what I think, when I think of mothers, when I think of my mother about the fact that mothers constantly are descending into greatness. A lot of people don't know this. She doesn't like that. As, I mean, now she knows because I, I sprung it on her in first service. But my mom, she is up here playing the keys every single Sunday. And a lot of people don't know this, but she's also here every single Saturday setting up the stuff on the stage. 
every Saturday. Why does she do that? Because she knows that she's constantly living her life to descend into greatness, not ascend. She sacrifices her time and her energy all the time for people. People have no idea. Usually it's not visible. I'm so thankful for that example. I am. I have a wife who is an amazing mother. I mean, amazing. She sacrifices, she puts other people first all the time, every day. Our, our washing machine is on its last leg. We just had a repair guy come out three weeks ago, I don't know what it was, and like see what's wrong with it because it just stops in the middle of the cycle. The water just sits in there. That's a lot of fun. And, and I get home usually and she'll be like, Brett, washer's stuck again. Okay. Yeah, take the clothes out, wring them out, stick them back in, get the thing spinning, hit it. We trick it and it's like, ooh, okay. That's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. So the guy comes in, yep, it's on his last day. You start saving for a new washer now. Oh, awesome. He said, but you can eke out a few more weeks, maybe even a few more months by doing half the size of loads that you normally would do because the sensor is what's tripping you up and, and it's broken and it's in, contained inside so I can't fix it. And, but you can do half, you know, the size of loads. You know what that means, right? Double the amount of frequency of laundry. Yay. You know who's taking the brunt on in our family of making sure our clothes are clean? My wife. Why? Because she's constantly seeking to descend into greatness. Putting yourself last, putting us first. So let me ask you this question. How is it that we, when we empty ourselves, that we can actually feel more filled up? How does that make any sense? In God's kingdom, it does. How does it make any sense that being selfless, putting myself aside, actually will help myself be healthier? You understand that this goes against the vast majority of self-help books and self-empowerment books out there. You know what those books do? They put you at the center of the universe. If you put you at the center of the universe, Good for you. You might achieve this, maybe. But when you get there, you're going to be by yourself. You know why? Because you stepped on and over so many people, they don't want to be there with you. So welcome to your life at the top. You'll be by yourself. It's a pretty lonely world there. God says, let's descend into great. Let's empty ourselves so that God can do what he wants to do. So let me ask you this. When you empty yourself, what does God do? What do you think? What does God do when you empty yourself? Well, you know what? Can I share with you what he does? And this is actually uh, how I want to end today. In fact, I want to go ahead and invite the worship team up, and we'll get this, get this ladder down and all that stuff. But as they come up, let me, let me tell you how we're going to end, because this is a powerful way to end, not just Mother's Day, but, but this topic. When you, if you decide to lay yourself down, to, to drop this whole cursus or nor room, this, this desire, this, this reality to chase after this ascending thing, right? If you are going to chase after that, then you're going to fill yourself up with all of what is here. And you're destroying people and a squeaky stage in the process. 
right? But if you do that, you're filling yourself up with all the things, all the values, all the ideals of being at the top. Good for you, because I hope you like it because you've destroyed everybody else in the process and nobody wants to be there with you, including God. Right? Including God. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with a very, I guess we're going to end with a very, kind of an important thing, a very powerful way. We've done this once before. But when you empty yourself, you know what God does? He fills you with something that's much greater than whatever you were trying to put there before. His blessing. Anybody want God's blessing? Grace, peace, joy, forgiveness, salvation, love. When you empty yourself, when you pour yourself out, descend into greatness, it gives the opportunity for God to infill you, to dwell in you an amazing blessing. It creates space for him to bless you. And so that's what we're going to do today as we end. We want to sing a prayer of blessing over you. And we're going to ask you, I want to ask you just to stay seated. I'm going to pray and then I'll get down. But then we're going to sing this prayer of blessing over you. I hope that you'll receive it. If you want to get your hands out, you don't have to, but if you want to receive this, to know that you're receiving this, do that. Whatever you need to do. But we're going to sing this prayer of blessing over you. This is God's desire for you. This is our desire for you. I hope that you receive it. Because God wants to give this to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that for everybody in this room, that you would remind us that ascending to greatness is a lie and descending into greatness, going down, emptying ourselves is the only way, the best way to receive the only thing that's worth the most in this world and that is your blessing, your peace, your joy. So as we sing this next song, may, we, may, may it remind us that you want to give us blessing, not just for us, but for the generations to come. And as we sing these words, amen, 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 may it be so, may it be real, may it be true for us that we've received this blessing. Amen. And we pray this in your name, Jesus.